Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cuckoo writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about their specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome Ed Kimber back to the podcast. Ed is a baker, food writer and author of six cuckoo books with his latest Small Batch Bakes out this month. He's also a regular contributor to Olive Magazine. You'll find loads of his brilliant recipes on olivemagazine.com and a bit of an obsessive about discovering new bakeries wherever he travels. So today I've asked him to come and chat about one of his favourite cities, Paris, and the bakeries and patisseries he loves the most there. Welcome, Ed. Thank you very much. It's funny, actually, you say that I go and kind of discover bakeries wherever we go. My boyfriend said to me last night, I've realised that every holiday we've had has been based around food. Like, mm. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> You're kind of doing, yeah, slyly doing research exactly. there. We did a great podcast a while back on New York bakeries, didn't we? Yeah. And um, I know Paris is one of your favourite mm-hmm. destinations. What What is it you love about the city? So I think it's the city and I think it's France in general. France was one of those places that when we were kids, we would go to a lot. I say a lot. It probably actually wasn't that many times. It just kind of stuck in my head. But we would... Um, drive or get the ferry over to France and we'd Euro camp all over the place. And I just have very fond memories of France as a child. And then when I was uh, 18, I think it must have been, yeah, 18, I (laughs) I had my student loan and in typical student fashion, didn't spend it properly. Um, I went with some friends from America who were studying in the UK. We just randomly one Friday night said, should we go to Paris tomorrow? So we went down to the student um, travel office and just booked Eurostar tickets. And, you know, day after we were down in Paris and A, it was an amazing trip and I just kind of fell in love with the place. And then I've kind of just kept going back. Um, And then I I have lots of friends that live there. Um, And it's just become one of those places that feels very homely and very comforting to me so it's one of those places where I don't really do anything particular when I'm there I'm not there to see the latest exhibition or see a show or go to the Louvre or anything I'm just there to have a nice time and see people and I think it's a great food city obviously it's not not a surprise to anybody Um, but I also think they are unsurprisingly an A-class city for baking so it just kind of feels a very nice place to be yeah and how's your french terrible <laughs> it used to be a lot better um but i think i've probably got a little bit lazy so um i can just about order things that's about it but i've definitely had looks in bakeries before one of the places i think that's on the list is um i was t- i'm not going to say which place because it was really rude but one of my friends from la was there recently and yeah. we were texting about how much we liked the place because the women that work there have such like french side eye really <laughs> if someone tries to speak french and it's really bad they kind of like give you the side eye of like oh can't even speak french properly uh, but it's kind of part of the pleasure let's see so. if we can if we can guess which one it is as we go There's through two the list. That I've got really rude service but it's worth it it's you fine. Could just yeah just deal with it because it's worth it for the yeah. big goods okay so we're going to talk about your your top 10 um we'll start with one that's familiar to me which is pierre homey mm-hmm. so pierre homey is probably one of the most 
old school, I guess, pastry chefs now. Uh, old school is the wrong term probably because he's not traditional per se, but he has been incredibly popular and successful for a long time now. Um, he has numerous boutiques across Paris. Uh, he has one in London actually, yeah. but they don't sell uh, his particularly They only sell his macarons, and macarons are actually what he's famous yeah, for. Yeah, I was going to say that's what I know him for. Those yeah. gorgeous boxes of macarons. Well, he kind of, kind of invented the modern macarons. Okay. So macarons come from a um, uh, region of France. Well, there's a few different iterations of them, but one of them comes from um, a place in, called Saint Emilion. And they're very rusk-like. They're rustic. They're kind of like an almond biscuit. It's mm. much crunchier. Um, and you have soft versions. You have hard versions. Um, but there's no color to them. There's no fillings. They're just a single biscuit. Oh, okay. And that's how macarons came to be. And there's actually an Italian origin to them, yeah. which makes sense when you think of amaretti. They're actually not dissimilar. Um, but in the 80s... They kind of became this sandwich cookie um, at Ladderay, which is obviously another very famous yeah. Paris boutique. Um, but they only had the classic French flavors of like chocolate, coffee, raspberry, very, very simple. And then um, Pierre May, who, if I'm getting my history right, actually used to work at Ladderay, he then started adding all these famous, you know, amazing flavors yeah. and combinations and made these much more elaborate fillings. And he became known for it. And then when he opened his business, his business is kind of centered around yeah. those macarons. But oh. his stuff is just generally of a very high standard. And um, if there was like one place you were going to go to for high-end French patisserie, yeah. he's always on there for me. But actually, my favorite thing from there isn't patisserie. Okay. So he... it's f French bakeries often have strict delineation between patisserie and boulangerie. So boulangerie is obviously generally things made with yeast and patisserie is um, not. So it's sweet things, okay. basically. Um, and sometimes there's quite a delineation between no crossover. So patisseries often don't do things with yeast at all, but it's kind of blurred these days. Mm. But he has a very small range of um, vanoiserie in one of his bakeries, I think, maybe two of his bakeries. And he sells a, a croissant, which is an Isfahan croissant and so what i always say wrong but that's one of his favorite flavor oh, combos okay. and it's uh raspberry rose and lychee oh wow and he makes a croissant where there's kind of a raspberry filling and a glaze and it's like two euros it's incredibly cheap and it's so delicious so that is well worth going for so go for that one definitely yeah, and it's in a really beautiful part in the south yeah. of paris on the south bank and um it's in a really beautiful square yeah it's just yeah and it it's looks a, it looks like a high-end jeweler i mean I oh yeah, say that, all of his places have that kind yeah. of stereotypical jeweler <laughs> looks in they're a little dark yeah. in paris but um they also are very good service they yeah. they know they're popular they know they're famous with tourists so they they are very ordered although <laughs> You, you didn't used to be allowed to take pictures in there and you'd get told off if you took out a camera. Oh, really? Yeah, it was very strange. They used to have a rule where you could take one picture and then they had a rule where you couldn't take any. And now they seem a little bit more relaxed Want to get on Instagram maybe, yeah. I don't know. Okay, they sound great. Um, and the next one is Cedric Grillet. Cedric Grillet is kind of the current, you know, famous... French pastry chef. He um, has a place in London now in the 
I want to say in the Barclay Hotel, but I may be wrong. It's not the Barclay. Anyway, he has a place in London now. Okay. And he um, is very famous for his fruits. So he's been named World's Best Pastry Chef multiple times. Um, and he originally was a hotel pastry chef. Yeah. And in Paris, there are very, very high-end hotels which have very incredible pastry chefs working there. And they often then go on to open their own businesses. Oh. Cedric Gallet, as I understand it, has opened his businesses in association with the hotel. So his first shop was actually technically inside the hotel oh. where he was um, working. And he started off being f- well known for these fruits. They're very hyper realistic. Yeah, looking I saw fruits. that. Yeah. But actually, my favorite thing he makes are um, he, he makes one that's a hazelnut, which is amazing, especially wow. if you like anything with that kind of parry breast I flavor. Love that, yeah. But his actual his parry breast is a very classic. Yeah. One, but he's gone from um, this one bakery to one in London, one in uh, two or three in Paris, and there's. Rubens is opening in LA and New York and he's going a million miles a, a minute. Yeah. They're not cheap. He is a very expensive bakery. <laughs> um, like very, very expensive. Um, but they are an experience and they're kind of, mm. you know, if you're on holiday in Paris, it's worth But like a lot out. of these places, it's kind of fun to just totally. have a, go in and have a look, isn't it, as well? Whether you're going to... Yeah go out with a massive box of cakes or just one or just one little cheap cake or not cheap cake but yeah that's good um let's talk about the next one because this is quite interesting um syrian inspired is maison yes. Aleph. so maison Aleph is run by a pastry chef called um miriam sabat and miriam has become a friend she was actually in london uh yesterday and i was hoping to see her but i i couldn't make it work um but Miriam's first shop is in the Marais, which is traditionally the um, Jewish area, but also the gay area. And it's one of my favorite parts of the city. It's mm. kind of one of the parts that wasn't affected by the Houseman Boulevard. So it's it's not a grid system. It's oh, okay. kind of the roads all higgledy-piggledy. Yeah. It feels much more ancient than a lot of other parts of Paris. And her shop is, her, her original shop is tiny. It's so small. It's so pretty, this beautiful um, tiled floor in this brilliant blue. And what Miriam does is she takes her flavors that she remembers from Syria, Mm. but she kind of uses French ingredients and some French methods to kind of blend the two together so that neither truly Syrian, but neither truly French. And she started off making these kind of... Well, the, what, there was one that was kind of like a twist on a baklava-style pastry. And there was one that used, like, um, kalaifa, the kind of shredded Oh, yeah, the pastry. shredded sort of... And she yeah. makes these little nests, yeah. and then she has fillings in them and uh, pipe toppings on them. And she's slowly evolved the range over the years. But wow. I really like what she does because they're light. Yeah. They're really interesting flavors. The shop is uh, very, very friendly, very bright, um, she has now opened a second uh, location, which is bigger. Um, but every time I go to her place, it just makes me quite happy because yeah. the place is really nice and bright and friendly, and the pastries kind are of welcoming as well. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's great. So. Yeah, because I, I saw the on the uh, on the website ingredients like 
orange blossom water and zatolic, so all of those kind of Levantine ingredients that you would expect. Yeah, and she uses a lot of kind of uh, rose water and like she'll take like the classic, like the French love hot chocolate. Yeah. And she'll make a kind of Syrian interpretation of hot chocolate. It, it, it might have rose in it, it might have all manner of different mm, things in it. Lovely. Um, but I just, I really like her way with flavors and yeah. her kind of interpretation of French pastry. Yeah that's not traditional at all but somehow still fits within the kind of patisserie model it's great all the different um, and a rare female-led business as well most patisseries are male still um and the next one you said it's not actually a patisserie it's a restaurant moco nuts moco nuts moco nuts (laughs) yeah it's again it's a really small unassuming place if you didn't know it was there you could easily walk past it and just go it just looks like any other kind of restaurant and but moco nuts has become quite famous for cookies which is not something you think about no with the french French, not at all no actually (laughs) when uh, people have tried to open cookery businesses sorry cookie businesses in paris they've generally been very strange because they don't understand like cedric galet makes cookies and they don't look like cookies at all (laughs) um and i don't think the french have that connection so it doesn't make sense to them but um, Mokonuts is a um, husband and wife team. Yeah. And the uh, wife is kind of in charge of all the bakery section. And every day she will turn out a multitude of different flavors. And they're small but kind of puck-like cookies. Yeah. And they're packed with flavor and texture. And she likes using alternative grains. She'll use tahini. She'll use rye. She'll mm. use buckwheat. So is she the Moko? Uh, yes, I always forget how... Yeah, because it's Moko Hira, Hirayama. Yes. So presumably she's got a Japanese heritage. Yes, yeah. um, and she, uh, she's she been... I think she lived in America for a while, which is where she got her yeah. kind of cookie thing from. Yeah. But they also don't feel quite American either. They're their own unique nice. thing. Um, the restaurant is great. It's well worth going to anyway, but... I always say I like to go for breakfast and I take away some cookies when yeah, they're fresh from the oven. Do. Yeah, because I think when I looked, it was only open for breakfast and lunch. Yeah, they don't And then often, they close it at night. They, they used to open for dinner, I think, yeah. but I don't think they are at the moment. Yeah, but. Sounds like a, a nice work-life balance. Yeah, well, they've definitely got kids. <laughs> and last time I was there, the kids are kind of like doing their homework in yeah. the, in the um, or waiting to go to school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great place and the cookies are probably some of the best I've ever had anywhere. Amazing. Not just for France. <laughs> That's a low bar. <laughs> and the next one, uh, caramel, is is basically, as it says on the tin, yes. centred on all things caramel. So caramel, but with a K. Yeah. So um, that was um, opened by a former chef from Ladderay. And it's a boutique that is centered around everything caramel, wow. unsurprisingly. Um, and it's a little bit out of the tourist area, so a lot of people probably wouldn't ever stumble upon it as a mm. tourist, but it's worth um, checking out if you're kind of in the area um, around the Eiffel Tower, kind of areas south of there a little bit. Um, but he makes, one of the things I really like that he makes is a um, pan suisse. Pan suisse is a kind of... You make it two ways. One, you can make it with a brioche on the more modern ways, making it with a more of a croissant-style dough. Yeah. And it's kind of a rectangular pastry that's encasing something. So generally, the classic version is just um, pastry cream and chocolate chips. And then it's kind of like a long strip of dough where that's then 
encased and folded over. Um, and this one is made with caramel and chocolate and uh, more of a kind of uh, croissant dough. Mm. And it's very indulgent, but it is delicious. Sounds good. Yeah. One for caramel fans. Definitely. And the next one, the oldest patisserie in the city. I had a look at this actually, and it looked it looked very traditional, almost like a kind of grand cafe vibe yes. to it, which is Stora? Stora, yeah. Stora, yeah. So Stora is the oldest pastry shop in existence in Paris. It's been open since 1730. Um, and I always get the history of this wrong. Uh, he was the pastry chef for um, uh, for who said like the meat cake? Or, like, what, meat Marie Antoinette? Brioche. Oh, Marie Antoinette. Yeah. I believe if I'm getting this right, <laughs> she was the pastry chef for Marie Antoinette. Was brought into the royal. Uh, family as pastry chef when she married into oh, okay. the um, French royal family. Yes. And he opened his pastry shop at that time, 1730. And um, he's quite a historical figure in some ways because the guy who set it up, he kind of invented the rum bar bar. Yeah. So the bar bar existed before, but it was made with different things. And he kind of, he, made he was the one who added the rum. And, that we know today. Yeah. And it's a very, if you want to see what, French baking kind of used to be in the kind of 80s, the 70s, it does have kind of remnants of that. It does yeah. feel stuck in its time, but it's still worth it's still worth going. a visit for the look. I mean, it's actually been in that site since 1730. I think it has moved once, but yeah. it has been there for a long time. It's on a, a street that's kind of known for food businesses. Yeah. It's a really, really nice street to visit. And the thing I normally get when I go there... Um, is a, a pastry called a puy d'amour, yeah. which is, a puy d'amour means, I think it means kisses, love kisses. Yeah. Amour obviously means love. I'm going to forget what puy means now. <laughs> um, but it's basically a little um, puff pastry cup yeah. that's filled with pastry cream and then brulee on top. So oh, it's nice. almost like a creme brulee, but in pastry. And that you can eat on the go. <laughs> yeah, it's so simple, but it's delicious. So that's, it's again, really unassuming looking. Yeah. But it is delicious. Yeah. yeah love the fact that you've got little favorites in all of these places um and we were talking about female-led patisseries mm -hmm. and the next one is um by claire damon tell us about that so claire damon runs um de gatoway de pan which is um an incredible business there's two locations one in more of the center of price that you would go to as a, a tourist it's a street called rudebach and rudebach used to be the street that had the most patisseries in Paris. It? It's a very small street, <laughs> but it has multiple businesses worth visiting on the street. Um, but Claire is, yeah, she's one of the rare female-led um, patisseries in France. Why is it there's there's so more male, now. Why is it so male-dominated? I think it's think? probably the tradition of um, kind of brigades, maybe, or yeah, because it, the way because the apprenticeships Because like you said, a lot work. of it comes from you know, the hotel thing or working, working in the pastry section in Yeah, and also like the, often French um, pastry chefs start very young as apprentices when they're yeah. like 14, 15. Wow. Um, and maybe that has something to do with it where it's kind of apprenticeships are maybe more traditional in terms yeah. of their gender roles. I don't really know. But it is still rarer even though that is changing. Um, but Claire is, her business is de gâteau et du pain, so bread and cake basically. Yeah. And she is a business that has patisserie and boulangerie, and both are excellent. She makes possibly what I think is one of the best uh, croissants in Paris. Um, just a simple, classic croissant, but it's delicious. But she also makes um, this thing, it's a version of um, 
well, she does two things. There's, she does a version of the religious, which is the um, shoe pastry nun, oh, yeah. basically. Two balls of pear shoe pastry, one bigger than the other, uh, stacked on top of each other. And she also does a version of the parry breast. Mm. But the thing that she does is she uses a lot of fruit flavors and she keeps them incredibly simple. So they're not like 17 different ingredients. Okay. They're really letting those ingredients shine. And they're so kind of clean and simple and elegant. Yeah. I think she's probably one of the most elegant patisseries in Paris for yeah. kind of like just pure simplicity. So just and isolating the, the absolute flavor yeah, of like a pear and just or kind an of apple like, or whatever. It doesn't just, feel gaudy. Yeah. It doesn't feel overdone. It just feels elegant and sophisticated. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think her patisserie doesn't get the same tourist traffic that a lot of the others would do because okay. it's not flashy. Yeah. It's beautiful and elegant, but it's not drawing you in with like flashy decoration of any sort. It's just yeah. beautiful. I love the sound of that one. Um, the next one is pan-pan. Uh, pan-pan. <laughs> yeah, so pan-pan is very much a neighborhood yeah. spot. It's... Um, just south of the Sacre-Cœur, it's in the kind of same neighborhood. And it's, uh, it's popular-ish with tourists, but it definitely feels like the neighborhood bakery. Yeah. And um, they do a mix of boulangerie and patisserie. Um, and again, it's not flashy per se. Um, it's your local neighborhood bakery, but I think they do everything pretty solidly. But often, if I'm staying in the area, it's often where it's I would really go nice for breakfast. It's a really nice place to stay. Uh, Montmartre's where me, mm -hmm. me and Matt have been a couple of times and stayed in that area. And Pigalle. And, Pigal. yeah, well, and it's just so lovely around there. I like Pigalle a lot because Pigalle is less touristy than Montmartre. Yeah. But this area of Montmartre isn't, again, where tourists necessarily would fall naturally yeah. because it's just away from um, the kind of central village of Montmartre and the Sacré-Cœur. But it's, it's a nice part and... There's just a really nice feeling to Pan Pan, and yeah. it's it's definitely worth going. You're obviously going to go to Sacre-Cœur if you're going there as a tourist, so make the couple of minutes detour and go and check it out, because Amazing. it's definitely worth it. And the next one, you say, is hands down one of the best pastry chefs in Paris, which is a big claim. That's Jacques <laughs> Genin. Jacques Genin. Genin. So my name. <laughs> my mate. Jacques is a character. Yeah. He is... Um, eccentric is probably an understatement for Jacques Genin. Really? But yeah. <laughs> I've heard many, many stories, which are probably not repeatable <laughs> on this podcast. But um, I've been very lucky that I've spent some time in his kitchen through different filming projects. And whilst he's a character, you can see that quality is at the core of what he does. Right. And so originally he's had businesses that were more patisserie-led, but now his business centers mainly on his chocolate and his confectionery business. Okay. So it's in the um, north of the Marais, the, his um, tea salon. There's two businesses. This other one is actually on Rue de Bac, where Claire de Mon oh. is. But the one in the Marais is where you want to go to because that's where they make pastries. So you can go and have afternoon tea, effectively, is what they're in their tea salon. Mm. He makes the best hot chocolate in Paris. It's incredibly thick, but delicious <laughs> and chocolatey, obviously. <laughs> but he makes uh, classic pastries 
incredibly well. So he'll make a really amazing chocolate eclair. And it's just a chocolate eclair. There's nothing else about it, but it's a great chocolate eclair. He also makes probably like the best two things, really. A lemon tart. He makes an amazing lemon tart, an amazing um, parry-breast. Oh, wow. um, and they're worth going for alone, but his confectionery is also incredible. He makes these amazing caramels flavored with things like mango and passion fruit or um, black currants, and they're just amazing. So yeah. it's well worth going to anyway um, for his pastry, but also go for the confectionery and chocolate How many well. people would you normally have working behind the scenes? Because you said you've been in his kitchen. I mean, what's... So his kitchen is directly above the shop yeah. in, in the Marais, and um, when I visited twice, and he's had about... Eight. So his kitchen's not that big okay. in comparison, but his production level is also isn't as big. So right. someone like Pierre Hame will have much bigger production facilities with a lot more chefs. Yeah. Um, but he is making things not to order, but his pastries aren't as mass manufactured. Right. Okay. They're much more small scale. So they'll be they'll be there and then they'll run out and then there won't yeah, be Yeah, they'll else. make a certain yeah. amount a day probably. Um and then the confectionery is obviously made. In a, in a very kind of small artisanal way. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't a big kitchen up there at all. It was quite surprising the first time I went to see just how few. Yeah. Eight would be the max I would have thought he would wow. have as well. Yeah. Still um, quite a lot, though, for one one. Yeah, hour, he runs two two shops, oh, two shops. Um, and one kitchen, as yeah. I understand it. But it's, um, yeah, it's a very, it's a really beautiful place. And if the Marais, if, you, if you're in Paris and it's really hot, his place is worth going to because it makes confectionery. <laughs> it's air it conditioned. Cool, yeah. So it's very nice. Just go and, and hang out in there for yes. a bit. Then all... you wouldn't feel bad eating hot chocolate because it's yeah. air conditioned. So you won't feel as hot as outside anyway. <laughs> Could all do with a bit of that in yeah. a minute. And the last one is Bon Tom's, which is known for something a little different. Again, tell us about that. So Bon Tom is a beautiful spot. Again, it's very, very pretty. Um, but they are known for sablés which are basically buttery biscuits. And they kind of... There was a period where Paris went through this tradition of bakeries opening that were focused on a single product. Okay. So there was Popolini, who make um, just shoe buns. There was um, Eclair de Genie, that only makes Eclairs. And there was a few of these businesses that just centered on one product. And Bontemps was probably the last one that I can remember opening... And they just make different versions of sablés that are kind of almost like mini tarts, but just made of these sablé biscuits. And you can buy these boxes with a selection of different types. Yeah. And they're an amazing gift. They're super sweet, um, very cute, and just really nice kind of, not lighter, but they're not kind of as rich. They're quite as quite delicate. Like, yeah, very delicate. So are yeah. those ones that you would have to, you'd have to like almost pipe it out, like a sort of. So with a um, sable, normally it's a, um, a kind of a shortbread style dough that ah, gets okay. formed into quite often formed into logs and then sliced and baked. Oh, I see. Sometimes right, yeah. you can roll it out and cut them out, but it's a very kind of so butter-heavy... Really, you don't really work with it too much? No, just, yeah. it's very short. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, they make things with all different uh, flavorings. Um, but it's just a very, very pretty salon and um, really nice, kind of slightly different um, pastries. They're not making classic French pastries. Yeah. They're using a classic French method of making sablés, yeah. but they're not necessarily using it in a way that 
you would find in other patisseries mm. around France. And a nice gift to take home because obviously they'll last a little bit longer than... Well, a lot of them do use things like fresh cream toppings. Ah, so okay. I would say if you're saying like staying in France, maybe you're visiting friends that live there, it would be a great like house welcoming yeah. gift. Or if you're staying with someone, you know, and you want to give a gift as a thank you, they yeah. would make great that kind of gifts for sure brilliant thanks for that ed 10 brilliant places to go and check out there and loads of inspiration but thanks for coming to chat to us again today thank you for listening to the olive podcast for recipes and more information head to olivemagazine.com and don't forget to subscribe at itunes acast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts 